Let's stand together while I read to you a text from the book of Habakkuk. Uh, It's a beautiful text, and it says this, For the vision is still for the fixed time, and it is moving quickly to the end, and it will not be false, even if it is slow in coming. Go on waiting for it, because it will certainly come. It will not be kept back. So when God's given you promises, we get impatient because of our humanity. And God's warning us not to do that. We can miss what God has because we've pulled the plug too quickly, abort too quickly, give up, quit. He's telling us it's going to happen. Don't quit. So, Father, thank you for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. The author of the word is here in person to illuminate the word in order to transform our hearts and lives. So we submit ourselves to you, sir. Do what you need to do in each of us. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. You may be seated. Tell you a little story as we begin the message this morning. The battle lines were drawn in the sand. The Philistines were on one side of the valley of Elah and the Israelites on the other. To understand what was going on, the significance of the situation, let me give you just a quick little backstory. The Philistines hailed from the western coast of Palestine. They had the corner on the iron market. I'm talking shields, swords, and chariots. In the modern-day vernacular, we might easily conclude that they had some serious war machinery. The Israelites, though, were agricultural people, and by and large, that's how they earned their living. So back on the battlefield, as you look at the story and how things are aligning themselves, the Philistines would not chase the Israelites up into the hillsides because they would become sitting ducks because the armor that they carried in war was so heavy. The Israelites, on the other hand, would not come down into the valley to tangle with the Philistines because they were no match for Philistine armament. One day, the Bible says, the Philistines were causing problems among the tribe of Benjamin. And one of the tribes, of course, of the Israeli nation was the tribe of Benjamin. And the Philistines would come in and raid the various ag tribes in order to take all their harvest from them and steal it and then take off back to the West Coast. King Saul and Abner, Saul's commander-in-chief, rushed out to the scene, and they were trying to figure out how to put together a makeshift army to stop the Philistines from raiding. So the battle was rather unique. It was at a standstill because the great Philistine and the fearsome warrior among them, Goliath, would walk out every morning and every evening into the valley and say something like this. You pick a warrior and let's fight. Whoever wins dominates the other. Your guy beats me, we serve you. I beat your guy, you serve us. That was the deal. And no one charged out against this nearly 10-foot, 400-pound behemoth. He was the undefeated, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, and nobody messed with Goliath. Well, enter Jesse. He was a sheep herder. Jesse was the father who 
had eight sons, the scripture said. Three of his sons were in that makeshift army, Eliab, Shammah, and Abinadab. Those are great names, aren't they? Next time you have a bouncing baby boy, don't go online and waste your time buying a Name That Baby book. Just name him Eliab or Shammah or Abinadab. You've got three great names right there. I can hear it now. Touchdown by Abinadab Shoshola. Great. Cool, right? (laughs) So Jesse tapped his youngest son on the shoulder. His youngest son was a shepherd boy, a guy out there tending for the sheep for his father. And he said, hey, David, I need you to run to the front lines with some chicken and uh, fried chicken and, you know, some mashed potatoes and give your brother some supply. And David, being a teenager, was like, okay, I'm there. I'm going to have a front row seat to the Goliath show, right? So David cruises out to the front lines, and as he walks out around the camp, he hears the soldiers all talking about Goliath. Did you see the size of that man's biceps? Man, I hear this spear weighs 25 pounds. His armor is nearly 200 pounds. I mean, he's scary. And David said, I could take him. I've taken out a lion and a bear. I can take him. And David's older brother, Eliab, hears David talking, and he says, David, you're talking smack, man. What are you doing? You can't take on Goliath. Go back to the sheep where you came from. I mean, after all, you only have a little peach fuzz on your chin. This is a man's war. You're a boy. Get out of here. Go home. And David turned away from his brother, and he began to talk to somebody else because he wasn't going to be denied. King Saul, the guy who should have been out there fighting Goliath, got word of what was going on among his troops. And King Saul stood somewhere between 6466. The Bible says because he stood head and shoulders above all the populace of Israel. King Saul, I'm sure, had poor posture during this moment. He was probably going, really, I'm not 6'4 or 6, I'm I'm only 5'8 actually, because you know, if he would have stood up straight, he would have had to go out there and fight and face Goliath. And King Saul heard that this little Hebrew kick, I mean, David, wants to go out and fight Goliath. So he brings David over to his tent and he says, David, have you lost your mind? What's wrong with you? I can't believe you're, you're saying things like this. David, I've taken, David said, I've taken out a lion and I've taken out a bear. When they came after my father's sheep, I took them down. I snatched sheep from their jaws and saved their lives. God's going to give me the victory over this giant. And Saul said, well, here, look, here's my armor. Try it on. David said, no, I've not tested your armor. It doesn't fit me. I I can take the giant out without your armor. Now, David, just for a few seconds, put put yourself in David's sandals. He walks out into the valley of Elah on that hot, dusty afternoon. The Bible says he kneels down and he picks up five smooth stones from the riverbank. David is a young man, a teenager. He's about to face a fierce Philistine with unwavering resolve to destroy any Israeli who comes out into that valley. And why? Because David is a man of character. And David is a young man with great integrity for his age because he's learned a little bit about the Lord. And David gets about the distance between a pitcher and a catcher away from Goliath. And he takes a sling and he begins to twirl it over his head. 
he had plenty of time to practice those maneuvers out in the fields watching the flocks of his father. That stone traveled up to 200 feet per second. David could split a hair at 30 feet. And when he launched that rock, it hit Goliath right in the forehead with the power of a Smith and Wesson 45. And Goliath drops to the valley floor, armor clanging and banging. And the Israelites, they're looking at this from their end of the spectrum. They're freaking out. And the Philistines are riddled with fear. The Philistines drop their weapons and they turn and they run. And the Israelites chase them and secure an amazing victory for Israel. Now, what qualities control David's life? You could talk about discipline. You could talk about endurance. You could talk about courage. But the one quality that controlled David was vision. David was a man of vision. And what is vision? Vision is the God-given ability to see the unseen, to see beyond the immediate moment. Vision is greater than a dream. Vision actually puts in motion steps you're going to take toward a desired end. You see, it's seeing the transparent through the apparent. And God wants all of us to become great visionaries. In fact, if we could ever see the vision God has for each of us individually and also collectively, we would at once be overwhelmed and begin to shout joyfully for what God's planned for us. If we could step beyond the veil into the heavenlies right now, God could unfold his vision out for you and for me. We would stand there in awe saying, what? You've got that kind of vision for my life? That kind of vision for my marriage and children, for my career? That's unbelievable. So how do we increase our vision? How do we, how do we focus? How do we find it? How do we get to know God's vision? Those are all good questions. So I'm drawing your attention today to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to talk you through this text. I'm going to lift out a few principles about vision because we all desperately need to have that downloaded into our lives. I'm talking about applying God's vision into our lives when we have to go to battle with the giants that we have to face in life. The first principle I want to give you, and and you have time to write it down, goes like this. Vision takes hold takes root in the obscure. In the obscure, that's where it begins. Vision really happens, takes root, takes power in the private and quiet times of our lives. And folk, we have gotten so distracted in this culture and so overly busy in this culture, we have very few moments we're set aside for quiet time and private time and listening to the voice of the Lord. And if you know about David, know that David spent a lot of time by himself out in the fields of Bethlehem. David was a man that most scholars feel had an IQ of at least 150, if not more, and had the military mind of a general Proteus. In fact, they still study his military strategies up at West Point. He was so skilled at going to war that the military still looks at the battles that he engaged and how he strategized them. He had the musical talent of a Bach. And despite all of this, he by himself, he's out in the fields tending herds of stinky, smelly sheep and sheep that are stubborn and have to get trained and sometimes prodded to do what they're supposed to do. 
But David didn't whine out there. David didn't say, God, what's the deal? Why do you have me out here? I'm your man. I'm a worshiper. I'm the guy who's after your heart. Why am I here? Well, David didn't do any of that. David knew his God. And David was confident in God's plan for himself. David got to know God in an intimate way. And he worshiped him. And when the lion came to attack the flock and picked off one of the little babes, he killed the lion. No applause for David. His story wasn't covered on Fox. It wasn't printed up in Sports Illustrated. When something else, a bear came to attack him, he just killed it. But he was by himself. And God always gives us his vision for our lives in the obscure, in the private. God tests us with conflict in private. You see, David was in school when the lion came and when the bear came. David was learning skills he never knew he was going to use out on a battlefield, but God was teaching him in private because God tests us in private. Then he promotes the vision to a public arena, and that's what he did when David proved himself faithful. A faith that has never been tested is a faith that can never be trusted. And so integrity what you are when you're alone and no one's watching and you're still doing the right things because you fear and reverence God and you build a life of integrity. Here's our problem. Our problem in this digital era is we want everything to be quick. We want, a, we want digital marital bliss. <laughs> we want digital spiritual maturity. Uh-uh. It's going to come through connect groups. I want to be a multimillionaire today. I want to run the company tomorrow. David didn't try to take a shortcut from the pasture to the palace, but sometimes we get tempted to do that. We say, no, I don't want to face Goliath. I don't want to pay my dues on a hillside somewhere. I don't want to get to know God personally and intimately. God, that's all fine and dandy, but I want my stuff now. Give it to me quickly. I have to have it. Perhaps you're in a mail room in the company and you're saying to yourself, surely nobody knows that I'm down here. Surely God doesn't give a flip about my direction. Maybe you're saying, well, I'm taking care of toddlers. It doesn't matter to anybody. Surely I need to be doing something more than taking care of babies. Maybe you're saying, I'm an associate in this firm. I'm getting pushed over to the side. Surely God doesn't have a plan for me or a vision for me beyond this. Listen, we're not, on, we're not in elevators. We are on ladders. And we move up that ladder one step at a time with God in the vision he has for us. However, just the opposite is true here. God has placed you where you are in the obscure, hammering out his vision in your life. If you remain faithful, stay humble. And if you understand it's by the grace of God, then he'll take your purpose and multiply it and then he'll promote you in a phenomenal way in his timing by his grace. That's why Jesus said this, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice some of the things that Jesus said in that first sentence. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he describes us as. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. 
come and share your master's happiness. It's going to be a party like no other. I grew up an ordinary kid in church. Didn't realize it, but God was giving me a vision at that time beyond my ears. I didn't know the fullness of that or could see that as a child. What did I know? I was just faithful. I was a kid growing up in church. Wasn't perfect, but I was faithful. I read the word daily. I prayed. And here's what began to happen to me even as a young lad in church. Uh, Because I went to work with my dad in the summers, and I did it all from high school, junior high, high school, through the college years, and worked for him when we had downtime of any kind, drove for him, I began to rub shoulders with some hell-bound people. I began to rub shoulders with people who were off the charts. Man, they could change the atmosphere very quickly and colorize it very, very uniquely. Skirt chasers, alcohol abusers, closed mind about Christianity, and uh, hardened, working on loading docks. And I began to invite them to church. That's all I knew to do, because that's what we did. We invited people to know the Lord, to come to church with us. And I invited, hey, look, we'll sit with you during the church service. And I began to see church through their eyes, even as a kid. And I didn't realize what effect that was happening on, uh, happening on me. And strange things began to happen in my thought process. To an unbeliever sometimes, looking at things from their point of view, sometimes we can speak a foreign language, right? We use Christianese. It affected me then, and it affects me even more now. The music was like from the 1800s, and the words these, thous, and stuff, I mean, guests weren't connecting really well with some of that. And there are a few illustrations from life that were preached like Jesus would use, but we needed more application. And I thought, what if there was a church where you could show up and understand what was happening? Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, whether you were a seminary professor or you have a clue about Christianity, preaching that was straight up, truth-laden, that didn't give you fluff, cutting through the aberrations and opinions that the culture tries to impose? What if there was a church that was celebratory in their faith and they expressed it, they were thankful, they were joyful, they expressed that in everything that they did on the campus? What if there was a church that did some music with rhythms and that guests could identify with, with words of worship straight from God's word, the Bible? What if there was a church that had a structure that 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 looked like the New Testament church? What if there was a church that loved people the way they are and introduced people to Jesus and compelled itself to reach its community? What if there was a church like that? What would it do? And I knew in my spirit then, even with limited understanding of vision, what I know now with a more full revelation of what that vision looks like, that God is saying something to me and speaking deeply into my heart. And God has something special for us in these days, unlike anything we've ever seen at Calvary. And I I knew it was there in an embryonic form when I was young and, and private in the obscure where God was giving me a little education and insight. It's very important that we comprehend how God's work, how God works and how envision it's an embryonic state, and then finally God begins to show you the big picture. Amen? 
So here's another statement. Write it down. Vision and uncertainty are inseparably linked. Vision and uncertainty are inseparably linked. Oh, wow, that's kind of strange. Sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Vision and uncertainty inseparably linked. Well, wait a minute. Vision and uncertainty? I understand vision. I understand uncertainty. How in the world did those two come together? Vision and certainty should go together. Uncertainty? Is that a misstatement? Nope. Vision and uncertainty are inseparably linked. And if you were to drive around our community, you'd have to drive in some form of a vehicle. When you drive at night, what do you have to do? You have to turn your lights on. Turn your lights on so you can see what's in front of you. But the lights only illuminate for a specific amount of area in front of you, right? How do you see past the illumination of what your headlights can do for you? You drive. That's the way God is with vision. See, God turns the lights on, and he knows us just enough to say, okay, here's where I want you to go with your family. Here's where I want you to go in your church. Here's what I want you to do with your business. But don't put it in neutral. Don't sit there. Drive. Forge forward. You've got to drive, and you've got to trust me, and you have to have faith in me that those lights will continue to illuminate as you go forward that God will illuminate your steps. His light for me, it's a, his word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path as I take steps. He keeps illuminating my vision. You've got to drive. You've got to have faith in him. Do you think David knew when he was tending his father's sheep that one day he was going to fight Goliath before the two armies out in the battlefield? Do you think David knew that he would be playing an instrument not just out on the sh- in the shepherd fields, but he would be playing that instrument in the palace for King Saul. You think David knew when he was a boy that Saul's son, Jonathan, would become his best of friends? Do you think David knew that he would have to hide from King Saul because Saul would go off the rails spiritually? Do you think David knew that he'd become the king of Israel when he was a boy, tending his father's sheep? David didn't know those things. He didn't understand that. That was uncertainty. I look back at our church. Every major decision we've ever made has been riddled with uncertainty. Yea, there were certain things that we understood about some matters, but there are many things that we were uncertain about. How in the world could we ever do a Memorial Day? That that length and that that breadth of size, how do we conduct a Sunday night service when nobody else wants to be in church on Sunday night? How do we do a Camelot in the fall? How do we open a preschool and have it be so successful? How do we do Reality Kids Church? How are we able to do student ministries? How are we able to implement connect groups now? And how do we build relationships and connections in the body of Christ? How will we ever build a multi-million dollar campus? I'm uncertain about those things. Do you know? I don't know. But let's just go ahead and drive the car because that's what God's called us to do. We have the best property in Yuba City that's available. We purchased it for $75,000 an acre. <laughs> it's now worth half a million dollars an acre in climbing. We act in faith. We're debt free, thank God. And we will build a church without much stained glass in it, a church with relaxed seating 
A church with a bistro with better coffee than Starbucks? What? People ask, did you plan that? No, God's planned that. We are and we will work hard. We're going to follow him. We've driven the car and we've seen just enough ahead of us that he allows us to see, but we don't know where we're going to go next. Where do we go from here? What do we do? And some people, here's what they do. They kick it in the neutral and stop. Do we stop? No, we're not going to stop. We keep driving. Uncertainty and vision is perfect because that's where God wants us to be. So we are dependent on him. So if you're a little bit uncertain, good for you. That's where God wants you. You are right where God wants you to be. Trust him because God's going to reveal himself to you through his word, through his body, through his spirit, through his anointed teaching. Vision takes hold in the obscure. Vision and uncertainty are inseparably linked. In light of that, let me give you three quick principles that you can apply related to vision itself. First of all, you've got to be willing to ignore vision vandals. Every time you have a vision, there's going to be a vision vandal. And you've heard that on Wednesday night if you've been out. Joshua and Caleb had this incredible vision to go into the promised land. What happened? The vision vandals begin to come after them, attack them, diss them. You know, you have the same stuff in your life. So do I. There are always vision vandals. And whenever God gives you a vision, there's always going to be a vision vandal popping up somewhere. You might say, well, David had a vision vandal? Oh, yeah, several. One was his older brother, Eliab. And let's check him out in 1 Samuel. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? Immediately starts beating down on his younger brother. Does that sound like an older brother like in the prodigal son story? Oh, yeah, it does. Those few sheep, you know count. I, I know you're conceited and I know your heart is wicked, and you're looking for attention. You came down here only to watch the battle. You just want to watch bloodshed. You go back home where you belong. John 10 and 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. And that's what vision vandals do. They come to steal your vision, kill your vision, destroy your vision. The Bible says that when Eliab trash-talked David, and then he, and he was trying to, to speak this vision, he tried to Go forward with the vision, but Eliab was trying to vandalize that vision. And David simply turned, read it in that passage, and began to talk to somebody else. That's a good word, because here's where we mess up. Many, when somebody challenges you and tries to pour water on what God's building in you, you want to engage back in debate. Okay, Eliab, let's go. Let's get it on. That's unwise. You're playing right into the evil one's hands when you do that. Well, pastor, I've got to chase down Eliab. I I can change him. I can tweak him. I'll I'll just have a few meetings with him or her, whatever the case. They will see the vision. No, they won't. No, they won't. Eliabs are Eliabs. They're not going to change. Only God can change them. You can't change them. So why waste your time with an Eliab? Why? Life's too short. I'm not saying you to to be mean to them or to be ugly. Just love them 
and then do a 180 and turn and move with the movers. Move with people who get it. Amen. We need to learn to ignore the vision vandals. And second, great visionaries also have the ability to recognize their resources. God always puts resources in our vision right before us. If we hear our vision and see our vision is from God, we can discern he's got resources available. If David had not been walking with God, he would have never, ever had learned to use that sling. If he got restless and he got, became impatient, he would have never been out there long enough to learn how to use that with such accuracy. He would have never stopped to pick up the five smooth stones. He would have probably put on Saul's armor trying to figure it out for himself. But because he had discernment, God provided the re- and experience with the lion and the bear, then God provided him the resources so he could carry out the vision in front of him. The resources are always there for us to live the life of God's vision. They're always there. And watch in 1 Samuel, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off, said nothing doing here. And here's what I've discovered about visionaries and great leaders. Great visionaries and great leaders are great eliminators. You, you are not only measured by what you do, but, why, but by what you don't do. Vision is not only who you hang out with. It's also who you choose not to hang out with. If you are not regularly eliminating things from your life, then your life will be too cluttered. As a mom, a dad, a husband, wife, CEO, teacher, coach, player, student, you need to learn to eliminate stuff from your life. Your life gets so busy today. It will derail you if you're always gathering stuff and adding stuff, but never eliminating. Great leaders are great eliminators. So we've got to say, I cannot walk with that. That's, I can't carry that too, like David. I have not tested that. You've got to take it off. You have to do what the Bible says in Ephesians. Take that stuff off and put on the full armor of God. God does not dress us. We're big boys and girls. We dress ourselves. We're to clothe ourselves in righteousness. We have a few married guys in the house, married men. Come on. Come on. You ashamed of it? Put your hand up. Okay. Just checking. I have heard these stories, and I haven't had, thank God, haven't had to experience some of this, but, but I hear these stories from guys who've been married. And I've been married 51 years. Amen. Amen. She looks pretty good for 51 years with me, right? Before you were married, some of you guys thought, man, I really know how to dress. You know, I'm cool. I got it together. Then you got down the aisle and something very strange happened. Your wife looked at you one day and said, in a nice way, ooh, that's not good. Your fashion unconscious. Wow. So I won't ask you to lift your hand if your wife has ever said that to you, because I don't want to embarrass you. That's not the way it's supposed to be among Christians in, in living the life. We don't say, okay, God, 
Trust me, you don't know what to wear today. We dress ourselves. We put on the vision. We live it out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Visionaries ignore vision vandals. They recognize their resources. And the third thing, they value their victories. What did David say to Saul? What did he say? Hey, Saul, I took out the lion and the bear. I can take out this giant. David was remembering his victories. They're there for a reason. God gave those to you so that when you are where you are now, you will have faith to believe he's the same God to help you through this one. Whenever you have a great spiritual victory, keep a memento from that victory. You can use that to give yourself strength, confidence, power. When you have those bouts with doubts, and we all have them, you can use it in times being tested when you don't know where do I turn next. That's what David did. And I'm going to read to you a verse that's unfiltered. God did not filter for us what he wanted to say to us. Sometimes we tried to do that with our language style, but God was unfiltered. If you're squeamish, get ready. It's unfiltered. But the Holy Spirit wanted it by purpose to be in this text. And after David released the stone and hit Goliath in his forehead, and after Goliath hit the ground, check out what David did. He cut Goliath's head off. 1 Samuel 17, and David took the Philistine's head and he ran all the way to Jerusalem with it. And he parked it on a hillside that we now call Golgotha, place of the skull. It's amazing. And wonder what that looked like when he was carrying that, the, the giant head of Goliath. He's carrying this big old head And I'll bet Goliath's expression left on his face was kind of like, (laughs) you know, Goliath was probably thinking, I should have have been able to pop open a can of Rockstar before I went out into the battlefield today. And the Bible says, he, David, put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. David carried the weapons around with him in his own tent, wherever he went. I'm sure David used those weapons as remembrances to give himself power and strength during the dark valleys, during the days ahead that he had great tests. We need memories like that. We need to remember what God's done for us. Many times in my life as a pastor, I go through periods that tend to be lonely of saying, God, what are you saying to me? I I can't seem to get a distinct word. Sometimes heaven feels like it's brass and I don't feel my prayers have gotten through. We all go through those moments. It's part of being human but I have mementos around me. I have trophies of God's grace around me, and they help take me through the tough days. They remind me of different circumstances and situations because there I remember what my God did. I remember God's vision. I go back to the original calling. I go back to the place of my Bethel where God put his hand on me, his vision for my life and his vision for our church. So let me give you one more thing, one more statement Statement before I close. Third, vision is a contagious commodity. It's a contagious commodity. Anybody here ever have the flu? Yeah? It's scary how contagious it is, right? And then the person with it always inevitably walks up to you and goes, <laughs> right? It's like, thank you. 
And did your mama ever tell you to do this? Yeah. Or do this? Yeah. Right? Vision is a contagious commodity because once you get a vision like David, there's no telling where that vision's going to go. I mean, just grab hold of it and hang on for the ride. Check out David. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath into the gates of Ekron. Gath is where Goliath hailed from the city after that. Ekron, they chased them all the way down, killing them as they went. David had no idea when he had this little vision from God in an obscure place that one day it was going to go public and have a huge impact on the hearts and minds and lives of people, that he would be known as the greatest king that ever ruled in Israel. He had no idea about it. But all of that was in the plan, in the original vision. Vision is a contagious commodity. When he stepped out onto the battlefield, stating publicly, who are you to come out here and threaten the armies of the Lord God Almighty? I'm going to level you with the help of my Almighty God. And when that, when that began to spread like contagion everywhere, it inspired all the troops of Israel. And if God gives you a vision for your life and you understand it and you know it, there's no telling how he's going to multiply that vision. God multiplies the vision relationally, corporately, emotionally, intellectually. The vision is contagious. It's contagious with your family, your friends, and everybody around you. It can affect our community and our neighborhoods. It can affect our city, our state, our country. That's how big how huge vision is. And there are some people in our culture who can't understand to this day how the president got elected to office. How in the world did this man become our president? Because he cast a simple vision. We're going to return to a value system that we've lost. We're going to be great again. Our military is going to be strong again. Immigration is going to work the right way once again in our country. And he cast a vision. And who knew where that was going to go? And up until the night he was elected, we just kind of looked at each other and go, eh, well, you know, interesting vision he's got. But my goodness, it caught fire, didn't it? It can affect everything around us. Listen, I truly believe when we get to heaven, we're going to get knocked off of our feet concerning how impacting and how indelible our lives have been on so many people around us, what our vision did to help others be encouraged. And it's all because this vision thing is such a contagious commodity. When Saul and the Israelites looked at that battle, they saw everything from the external. They only could see what they could see, a giant. And behind him, armies that were armored to the teeth. They saw what they could do in their limited ability, and that was to try to hold off a stalemate and what they for sure couldn't do. We can't go out there and defeat them. They saw Goliath, an undefeated warrior who had never lost a fight. David didn't see any of that. He allowed, Well, he did, but he didn't allow any of that to get into his thinking. David saw the unseen, a God that he learned about on the backside of hillsides tending sheep. David saw the unseen because he was a man of vision. And that's the kind of person that God wants all of us to become as well. People of vision that know our God, 
and know his plan and then take it and drive with it and keep moving forward with it. For the vision is still for the fixed time and it is moving quickly to the end and it will not be false even if it is slow in coming. Now, who's that for? Us on our side of the deal because God's not bound by our human clocks. He's eternal. He's outside of time. But from our perspective, it seems like, are you going to do this? (laughs) Even if it's slow in coming, go on waiting for it because it will certainly come. It will not be kept back. God's got a great purpose for Calvary Christian Center. Better days ahead of us. The best days in front of us. Get in the vehicle with us. Let's drive. God will illuminate the path as we keep driving. Amen? So stand and celebrate and give thanks to God for who he is in your life. Thank you, Lord.